18 minutes it is after 7 p.m. It's this Tuesday evening's installment of the latest out in the world of business. Joining me tonight uh, is Okwabe Zola Kemguni, co-founder and chief investment officer of Benguela Global Fund Managers. And depending on what it is you watch, uh, yeah, the latest uh, very famous TV star in a very interesting documentary. Kwabe, how are you doing, man? Uh, I am. Uh, good evening <laughs> to you and good evening to your listeners. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You're embarrassing me so... So I have to. I, I couldn't let it go. You know, after after uh, I watched um, uh, this particular, uh, uh, you know, documentary looking into uh, what happened at Steinhof, uh, I first realized two things, Kwabe. That uh, one, you're a TV star, but also two, uh, you are a okay. master timer of the market and can suss out character from very far. No, no, I was just lucky. <laughs> I was just lucky. So, <laughs> talking about luck, it seems some of the investors uh, and uh, those with significant positions in Afrocentric, might be lucky. They might be faced with a payday. What, what do you make of the partial or conditional offer on the table for the people who give us med scheme coming through from Sanlam, which it seems, I guess, has its tentacles all over the place? Yeah, indeed. Uh, tentacles, they have in, in, in abundance. Uh, I think uh, when one looks at this transaction, I mean, uh, if you look deeper, it looks like Salam is very determined to move lower down the uh, the, the LSM curve in terms of their offerings. So uh, Afrocentric is predominantly focused in the uh, affordable medical schemes and, and related services like uh, pharmaceutical. And it looks like Salam is headed in that direction to try and capture that part of the market. Uh, they already have funeral products in that space, and this would basically bolster their uh, proposition within that space. Having said that, I mean, I think you could also drink from the premium that they are offering that uh, they actually really want to be in that space. I mean, they're they offering quite a substantial premium. I think it's, uh, it's uh, depending on which price you look at, it's, it's around uh, 50%. Uh, if you look at uh, yesterday's closing. So it's quite a substantial premium, and I think the market didn't really uh, celebrate that, uh, that that number so much. But from a strategy point of view, I think I think it makes sense. Salam is trying to bulk up its uh, business in the in the middle-income market of the, of the country. And, and, and just, I mean, let's talk about that middle market, because in a sense... You know, if one considers where this play is related to, I guess, the other, you know, competitors who are there. I mean, who, who would they be competi- competing with in this middle market? Um, and what does it give Sunlam by way of future prospects and potential, you know, cross-selling opportunities going forward? Yeah, I, I think, I think the, the last point you make is actually a, a key one. So they're obviously competing with the, I mean, Discovery is probably on the higher end of the, of the market. But there are many other uh, uh, schemes like Polmet and, and, and a number of others that are competing in that affordable space. And I think what they are trying to do here is to basically uh, ensure that they've got the ability to participate and bulk up their product offering to that uh, middle, middle market. Because as we spoke the other day, I mean, They've been very good at picking up where the trends are going and following the money in terms of social uh, mobility. Uh, you can go whether 
from the early 1940s to uh, post-94. They've been very good at picking up those trends, and they keep aligning to, to what's happening in, in society. So this, this transaction certainly would enable them to offer a broad range of services, uh, you know, from uh, life insurance, uh, health insurance, pharmaceuticals that are bundled together with this uh, product. So, so, so certainly... A, a, a big move from, from their strategic direction. Mm. And it seems, I mean, this is far from a done deal. I think there's a few one conditions precedent and then there's a few potential permutations depending on what Afrocentric shareholders decide in relation to the offer that's on the table. Yeah, indeed. So, so it, it looks like Sunlam, uh, first of all, Sunlam had a shareholding in one of the subsidiaries that are owned by Afrocentric. Uh, so they were joint shareholders. Salam owned 29% in ACT Health, and uh, Afrocentric owned the balance. So the first thing that they'll do is they'll flip that shareholding up to to the top, and then the second thing is then they would uh, uh, come back with an offer that is either cash or Salam shares. Uh, so so that is uh, another uh, element, and then they can uh, hold between. Uh, I think 37 or 38% and 45% that, that the, the kind of shareholding that they, they can uh, vary between those two. So, so that is again a point that uh, they, they highlighted to, to say uh, uh, the, the shareholders, depending on the take-up, Sunlam could actually uh, maybe have less. They might be able to go to 44% uh, of, the, of the company but they could also end up at 37. If they end below mm. 37, uh, yeah, I mean the, 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 the floor is on the transaction that they, they flip the, the asset in. If indeed this succeeds with, uh, say, a permutation where they get around 37, between 37 and 41% of this entity, what does that mean in the different insurance markets, long-term, short-term, that Sunlam uh, would operate in, and I guess even in some of the medical fund and medical administration markets that uh, Afrocentric would operate in? Yeah, I, I think it could also open uh, the market up for, for uh, Afrocentric, uh, particularly net scheme, to basically administer some of the, what I've called, uh, the, the people are on the uh, edge in terms of, uh, on the edge of the, the, the middle class and the higher end where they may be being squeezed uh, from a cost point of view, and this could be an offering that can enable them to downtrade rather than Salam losing completely that customer to a, a another competitor. So, so that that should help them. But I think the big thing is for Salam to to be able to penetrate that market and, and be able to do so efficiently because they do in the administration and and, and is one of the profitable businesses within. Afrocentric, or probably the largest and most profitable, and that then able Salam to basically uh, take um, uh, some of that uh, capital and reinvest it in, in building growth uh, mm. across their their, their 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 offerings. Yeah, it's one we're certainly going to watch quite closely. Um, a looming deal there uh, between Sunlam and the company that brings to us Med Scheme Medical Aid, and uh, yeah, one we're going to follow quite closely there. But let's shift our attention to the coal sector. The Salungano Group, uh, which is what uh, what was formerly known as West Cold, uh, historically one of the uh, suppliers to 
uh, to ESCOM, uh, yeah, I guess in 2015 or 2016, got into a deal uh, to acquire uh, um, what was Exaro's Arno Mine uh, and a 50-50 deal with them and some of the workers uh, who used to work for that particular operation within Exaro. And it seems now uh, that uh, there's a collision course in the offing between Arno um, Investment Company and uh, Salungano uh, for who will ultimately control uh, Arno Opco. What do you make of this one, Kwabe? Uh, and I guess <laughs> the context within which it's ha- it happens. Yeah, I, I think firstly the context within which it happens. I mean, we're having a boom in the mining sector and a company goes into rescue. A company that operates in the mining sector uh, mm. goes into a business rescue. And I have to add that uh, this is a company that when uh, Exaro offloaded it, uh, it, I think it had uh, close to 190 million uh, pounds mm. if those reserves were being delivered uh, today. But, but the, the, the disappointing thing is that we are in a boom. There is shortage of coal the world over, and this company, this company goes into a rescue. It looks like they are differences around the management of this entity uh, and as you kick in. So mm-hmm. initially you get, you, you get supervision. The next stage uh, you'll get a moratorium on uh, on the right of the claimant. And then lastly you'll get the business rescue plan. And, and I think that is the process that they'll probably follow in, in this particular case to try and make sure that the business doesn't go under. But I suspect that it's a question of working capital and having to settle mm-hmm. the, the loan now that are standing to some of the shareholders. You know what I'm interested in, Kwabi? I mean, in a business rescue of this kind, yeah. um, in a favorable price environment where similar or comparable coal companies who produce the stuff and trade some of it, I don't know, um, are experiencing windfall profits in some cases. Um, what type of assets are earmarked by those hovering about an entity like this um, in case it might topple over into liquidation. And then the other question is, who are some of the claimants who might potentially, you know, scupper or even, I guess, uh, you know, uh, potentially make more successful a business rescue process like this? Because I guess the cre- if the creditors say, we're not willing to take what you're putting on the table and we might apply for a liquidation, it's an entirely different story to maybe getting their favor. Yeah, so, so, so I, th- I think that is, I mean, the, the whole business rescue plan is, is basically to ensure that you get that time between being liquidated today and maybe being liquidated later. But, but I think if you look at the, the, the number of coal miners that, are, that may be interested in this, uh, in this asset, the only issue is that for it to move out of Exaro into uh, the, the, this uh, OPCO company, it was because ESCOM didn't renew the contract. Uh, with Exaro on the on this particular month. So the, the the challenge for the buyer is going to be to try and get visibility on the future of, of uh, uh, where could they sell this coal. What if uh, the global market slumps and you have to go back to Eskom and back for that? So they would want to tighten the screws on on the on the uh, Eskom relationship and then plan ask for the excess. So so. In that kind of operating environment, I think it might help uh, for uh, the potential buyers that they might become uh, quite interested. But I think out of the blue, if 
those things are not in place. I think it will be very difficult to make a buy case, especially given that banks are not, uh, or many banks have decided that they're not going to fund any uh, coal assets uh, going forward. Mm. And then, Kwabe, Serena, making an investment, and I took a look at this Nigerian company, quite an interesting one, and I guess in a market like the one you are in where information is very material and insights and data from which those insights are drawn is critical. Uh, what do you make of this particular uh, uh, play by Serena Ventures? Yeah, I, I think the, the transaction itself is probably not uh, as material. I mean, it's material to the company, but probably not material to Serena and, and probably in the bigger scheme of things in the, in the sector. But I think sure, sure. from a signaling point of view, I think, I think it says a lot about the potential for uh, a business like that's been launched in uh, Africa to be able to sell their products uh, uh, to broader markets uh, uh, outside of Africa, including outside of Africa. So what they do is they, they aggregate data and they run on the ground and collect the data uh, about what is happening in the Nigerian economy, the, the environment, and they comment, they provide insight into what is happening within different sectors. So people like ourselves, let's say I want to know what is happening in the consumer uh, sector within Nigeria. I could buy a report from them and basically use that as my reference to basically uh, be able to make uh, an outlook of what's going to happen. So it is, it is significant in that they compete with the likes of Statista, the likes of, uh, I think, uh, even McKinsey has got some uh, data gathering uh, uh, capabilities. But I think that the significant thing is that it they've carved a niche for themselves, mm. and that niche is so uh, special that uh, other players are starting to see the potential. I mean, that tells you that about the potential in Nigeria, that people are buying this uh, uh, subscription at such a fast rate that it could be taken out and be uh, marketed to, to global uh, uh, investors. Mm. And, and, I, and I guess in a market like Nigeria, I mean, just out of interest for some of our listeners, you know, if one goes on their site and this company is called Steers, um, not our Steers where they make the chips and all of that, but just, you know, Steer EA rather than EE. Um, and I found it quite interesting. I mean, in a market on the continent where subscriptions and paywalls often, you know, aren't really, I, I guess, a good, um, I don't know how to put this, a very good and marketable model. Um, sure. How have they done it enough, I guess, to attract the, atten- the attention? of one of the more recognizable celebrity venture funds? I think if you look at it, it all boils down to who the customers are. And the customers are predominantly financial services, people like ourselves, asset managers, Mm. uh, banks, uh, companies that want to expand into Nigeria. And like I say, it is almost a window into uh, what's happening on the ground in Nigeria. And you can get it... uh, uh, in a subscription, I think it's $100 a, a, a year subscription. So, so that, that kind of gives you a, a very good indicator that there is a lot of interest in Nigeria as a market, and, and these guys have been able to pull this off by focusing on that niche where uh, demand is high for information within that market, and I, I think they've done well from the perspective. Mm, mm. And then, uh, I guess, yeah, this is quite an interesting one. I, I didn't know who the advertising uh, regulatory board is, but uh, might be worth discussing this one because I know many of the people who listen to us do all manner of campaigns online. 
Uh, and this is, uh, you know, a sad thing now that has happened to uh, Skumba Shope and uh, Celeste Nduli, uh, you know, two of our colleagues here in the world of media, uh, who we understand failed to disclose that, um, you know, just three things or three characters, hashtag AD, failed to include that in their tweets uh, from a campaign they were doing for, for the National Lottery. And it seems... Uh, notwithstanding, you know, this kind of censure is not really going to have any bite because they're not members of the ARP. But there's some lesson here, Kwabe. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, if you look at it, it's actually pointing a finger at Twitter's ability to uh, regulate. Mm. Or, or, because they're getting paid for their adverts. They are the ones that have the customers, and the customers are the ones that are hopefully going to click or or slide over the, the advert. And they didn't ensure that the people that are, this is a promotion rather than a tweet that where these celebrities are actually uh, actually promoting somebody else's uh, uh, advert. So, so I think if you look at it, like if you take a step back, there's been a lot of rumors about how uh, the lottery board has been mismanaging the, the, the money that is at their disposal. It looks like the adverts were meant to try and stem some of that element to say, mm. explain what we do with the money. We, we pay the cost, we, we support certain causes in, the, in, in society, therefore it's not just all uh, a lost cause. They should have disclosed that, and, and I think it, the, the finger is pointing at Twitter, rather than uh, 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 Stumba and Celeste in this particular case. Kwabe, as always, a pleasure catching up with you. Um, I certainly hope uh, you might be able in future to give us some clues about how uh, the uh, plot of the documentary you are uh, staring in is going to unfold. But till then, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Aya. <laughs> Mguni there speaking to us. is the Chief Investment Officer and founder out at Benguela Global Fund Managers. And uh, of late... Uh, recently acquired fame in the world of uh, yeah investigative financial documentaries